Well, we just sang the song, I'm going to see a victory. And, you know, after yesterday, I don't really want to bring up the Vikings again, right? But man, we need to see a victory, don't we? <laughs> it's been too long. It's been frustrating. All we can do is put our hope and our trust in the fact that God is still good and the Packers will still lose. That's really what we're hoping. That's what we're praying for. So as a church, we're going to pray. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I mean, that's our hope. It's, it's frustrating. It's disappointing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But well, five years ago, I became the youth pastor. If you don't know me, my name is Justin Domino. I'm the youth pastor here at New Hope. And five years ago, I became the youth pastor, which has gone so fast. It's incredible. And I want to make a few of you guys feel old this morning. Um, that's 20% of my life, five years. So if that makes you feel a little bit old, I'm sorry, but I just had to throw that out there. As youth pastors, we like to do that, make you feel old. But five years ago, I became the, the youth pastor here. It's been a crazy, wild ride. We've gone from one campus to three campuses. And my first night of youth group was insane. I came from a youth ministry. I was interning down in Andover. We had about 20 to 25 kids every Wednesday, which was super fun. And God did amazing things through that ministry. But my first night of youth group here in Cambridge five years ago, we had about 95 students show up. So I went from 20 to 30 to 95. And I was so excited because I'm like, man, I'm going to be one of those guys with a big youth group. That's just going to be me. And I took a little bit of pride in that. And about a month into being the youth pastor, we got up to about 125 students just here at our Cambridge campus that shop down here at the, the end of our building. That's where we used to do youth group. Man, it would get so sweaty and so packed. It was amazing. It was like the best night of youth group. It was like when you're, we could see beads of sweat dripping down because it was just so packed. But after that first month of youth group, it got a little bit interesting. Actually, week to week, on a week to week basis, we'd have 125 kids one week. And then the very next week, we'd drop down to like 60 and then the next week, we'd have like 90, and then 70 the next week, and then 110 the next week, and then like 60 again the next week. I'm thinking, what in the world is happening? I mean, imagine you being here at church at New Hope, right? You know, 900 people show up one week, and then 600 people show up next week. Like, what the heck did Pastor Bill just talk about, right? You'd be questioning what's happening. So every single week on a week-to-week basis, my ego and my self-worth and my value as not only a person, but as a youth pastor would go up and down. You know, one week I'd be like, you know, Kids are showing up to see me. There's 125 kids in here. Like, I, I must be the real deal. The very next week, there'd be 60 kids. I'm thinking, what the heck did I do? Why am I such a failure? And this is something that it kept me up all night long, every Wednesday night for about two years. You know, on Wednesdays, I typically work 10 to 14 hour work days. And at the end of the day, at 1030, when I get home from youth group, I am completely exhausted. I've preached two messages. I've, I've dealt with hundreds of kids and they're nuts and I'm nuts. And so it's been a long, fun, exhausting night. But for the first two years, every single Wednesday night, I couldn't fall asleep. I'd get home at 10.30 and I'd stay up until 1 or 2 a.m. watching Netflix because I'm thinking, I can't shut my mind off anyways. I'd sit there and I'd try to close my eyes on my pillow and I would just run through what happened at youth group that night. And my mind could not shut off. I would keep wondering, are kids going to show up next week? What did I do wrong? What did I do right? And all these things were going through my mind and it kept me up every single Wednesday night for almost two years. Two years after I started, Pastor John Foley came on staff, and, which was a huge blessing because if you've been at New Hope for a while, you kind of know some of our culture, what it has been. If you know Pastor Bill, he's, kinda, he's this kind of pastor, like, okay, what do we do next? Right? Another campus, another campus, another campus. How many services can we add? What else can we do? Can we do a, a mud run? Can we do this and that and this? Everybody's like, whoa, <laughs> chill. And then Pastor John comes on, and he's like, what are we going to do next? 
we're just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. And I love it because it's such a good having like this get to know you sort of lunch. And he was, and I love it. And so I met with Pastor John. We were having like this get to know you sort of lunch. And he was asking me about the student ministry. And I was like, you know, John, it's going great. And I was, I'm loving it. Some great things are happening because they were. But then I started to open up the floodgates a little bit. And I was like, John, I got to be honest. Wow, there's so many good things happening in the student ministry. Here's kind of where I am. And I just opened up about how I just felt so broken and so depressed and so anxious and fearful. And I felt like my self-worth and my ego and my, my value was going up and down with our attendance every single week. And if we had a high numbers, I'd feel so good. But if we had low numbers, I'd feel awful. And both responses were bad. It was, it was either pride or depression. And it was frustrating because I've been living in this reality for over two years. And so here's what he told me to do. He told me the most obvious thing that he could ever tell me. And the classic Pastor John line, you need to pray. (laughs) You need to pray about it. And so I took his advice and I did it. And I didn't just pray a short, sweet little prayer. But what I did is I went down to our prayer cabin here, which just a little plug, it's open for anybody. We have a little prayer cabin down by the lake here. If you ever need to get away, spend some time in silence, spend some time in prayer, go do it. It's amazing. So I shut off my phone. I left it in my office and I brought with me a notebook and a pen. And I just wrote down all of my insecurities, all of my frustrations, everything that I was going through. Every time I felt bad, every time I felt good, I just wrote it all down. I had about three or four pages worth of notes about how messy and how broken, how messed up I was, which is just an awful thing to like visualize. (laughs) If you want to see how broken you are, write it down. You'll be amazed. But things started coming to the surface as I started writing all these things down. And after I got three or four pages done, I prayed over every single thing on that list. And I just asked God, I said, God, I can't live like this anymore. I can't live with this burden anymore. I need you to take it from me. And I just surrendered everything. I said, God, you take it. I don't want it anymore because I can't do it. And I'm telling you, the experience of God's presence and the freedom that I experienced in that moment of prayer, of praying over that list was the same exact experience of freedom that I felt when I gave my life to Jesus for the very first time over 10 years ago. And what you need to know is exactly what God spoke to me in my time of prayer that day, was that we cannot put our value in our self-worth, in our failures, in our success, because we're going to go right along with it. But we need to trust God, obey God, seek God, just love God, follow him, and he is going to take care of the results in our lives. Whether you're a pastor like me or whether you work in construction or whether you're raising four kids, it doesn't matter. What we are called to do as Christians is put our hope and our trust in him, follow him, serve him and love him and he is gonna take care of us. That's our call. See, so many of us have been living with things that we were never meant to carry. So many of us have been living with burdens that we were never meant to carry. We are living in sin struggles that we were never meant to find ourselves trapped in. We are living life in fear and anxiety and depression and frustration and anger. And the call that God has for us today is if we want to break out of our prison, which is our series that we're in right now, if we want to have a prison break from our own minds or from our own sin struggles, we need to call on God's name to save us. It's the only way anything is ever going to change. And so we're going to read Acts chapter 12, the story of Peter. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the the screen for you. But we're going to read about Peter's prison break. So as we're talking about prison breaks, 
We need to know that it's, just not, it's not just physical prison breaks that we need, but some of us need a prison break from our minds or from a sin struggle that we're going through. And so here's Acts chapter 12. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some of those who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after Passover. And so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, what we just read is that Christians and leaders in the Christian church during this time are being persecuted, being sent to prison, and even being killed. And so what's happening is, is Peter's in prison, and Herod commands that four squads of four soldiers each would guard prison during the Passover week, because this is amazing. Peter was arrested during a, a public holiday. And so what that meant is everybody's essentially on vacation. And so this gave Peter a week to be in prison, which gave the church a week to pray, and this gave God a week to move. So this is all in God's timing. It's amazing. But what happens here is Herod commands four squads of four soldiers. That's 16 soldiers guarding one guy. I don't know about you, but that seems like intense overkill, right? But if you don't know your Christian history, you know, Christians can get a little bit slippery when they're arrested, even, you know, crucified and put in a tomb. And so Herod wanted to make probably be killed because they're getting anywhere. That he was going to stay in prison over the Passover and then probably be killed because the Jews loved it when James was killed. And so Peter is in prison. Now here's where we're going to continue on and focus is verses six and seven. It says, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping. Now I want to stop right there because this is crucial. The night before Herod was going to bring Peter to trial and have him be put to death. What is Peter doing? He's sleeping. Now, in my own experience, when I've been in my own prison cell, as I was just talking to you about my experience of my first two years in youth ministry, there were countless nights that I stayed up on Wednesday nights and I could not fall asleep because my mind would not shut off. I was stuck in this rut. I could not get out of thinking about my failure, my insecurities, and my frustration. Yet when I look at Peter, who is in a physical prison cell, he's able to find sleep. Now let's think about that for a moment as we continue to read. So Peter is sleeping between two soldiers. He's bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel appeared and the light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side. He woke him up, said, quick, get up, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Now, knowing what we know about this whole story, knowing that James has just been beheaded, one of the people in the church, now Peter is in prison, and he knows internally, right, what's about to happen to him, because he knows that his friend James has just been beheaded, and so he knows that his future is not looking great, but not only can he sense that internally, he can physically see the chains attached and he can physically feel the cold steel around his wrists and around his ankles. And so every single day for a week, Peter is constantly reminded that he is about to die, that there is no way of escape. Yet what do we find Peter doing? 
He's sleeping. I want to ask you a question. What keeps you up at night? What steals your rest? What keeps you from being able to fall asleep? What sin struggle do you find yourself in? What's keeping you anxious or fearful or depressed? Because as we look at ourselves and as we struggle to find rest and as we struggle to find our own sleep, we see Peter who is about to die the next day and he knows it, finding rest. This is significant because what kind of person is able to sleep knowing that tomorrow they're going to die? It's a person whose trust is in God. It's a person whose faith is strong in the Lord. And it's a person that knows that no matter what we are going through, no matter what we are struggling with, God never leaves us and God never forsakes us. No matter what prison we might be in, no matter what prison people are literally in or people are you know, metaphorically in, no matter what sins we are struggling with, God doesn't hate you. God's not disappointed in you. God is with you. Because of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, on the cross, we have no more punishment. We have no more distance from God. If we have given our lives to him, if we have prayed that prayer, if we have been invited into God's presence, right? We have eternal presence with God. It doesn't matter what we go through. It doesn't matter what sin struggle we might struggle with. God will never leave us and he will never forsake us. In in the book of Psalms, it says this, Psalm 127 verse two says, in vain you rise up early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat. But God grants sleep to those who he loves. Peter was able to sleep because he trusted God. Peter was able to sleep because he recognized that no matter where he was, no matter what his future looked like, God was with him and he would never leave him. And if he died, perfect, he's in heaven. And if he lives, perfect, God is with him. And this is the truth that we need to know. That whatever we are going through, and I know so many of us have heard this before, but so many of us are discouraged every single day. And so many of us ask ourselves, where is God? If God says he loves me, if this pastor says he loves me, if this Bible says that God loves me and I'm his child, where is he? Why am I struggling? A perfect life is not an indicator that God is not, that God is not with you or that God is with you. But we need to know the truth, that God is with us no matter the trial, no matter the struggle, no matter the prison, no matter the sin, God will never leave you. Psalm chapter 139, verse eight says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And I wonder how many of us are feeling like we're living in the depths today. Some of us can relate to to King David when he says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. Because for some of us, life is really good right now. And we feel the blessing of God. We feel like God is with us and it's good. And that's an amazing thing. I want to encourage that. But some of us are right here with King David when he says, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Because some of us are going through some deep trials, some deep addictions, some deep family struggles, some deep relationship issues that we don't feel like we can ever get out of. And here's what you need to know. On your own, you can't. The reason I struggled for the first two years of my ministry, why I, felt, why I felt so depressed, so egotistical, so anxious, and so fearful about what the next week of youth group was gonna hold for me 
It's because I put every ounce of trust that I had in myself. And I thought that I could pick myself up by my bootstraps and I could do it. Now, I'm not saying I didn't work hard. I'm not saying I didn't do things and actually move forward. But what I'm saying is that God takes care of the results. We need to trust God. We need to seek him. Even if we don't know where he's taking us, we need to trust God that he is with us and that he never leaves his children. And even if life is difficult, God is still there. What happens next to Peter in the story is where I think it gets even more interesting. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side. He woke him up. He said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Now, this is the part of the story where we can get lost if we don't keep the main thing the main thing. Because we see this angel show up and some of us are like, man, I wish I had an angel. Or do we all have angels? And we can get so lost in this question of like, well, if Peter has an angel, if an angel show up to Peter, does an angel show up in my life? Do I have an angel? Is that what kept me alive during this time? And I need an angel. We can get lost in the fact that, you know, the Bible isn't totally clear in whether or not we have, we all have personal guardian angels. See, the point of the story is not the fact that this angel came and broke Peter out of prison. The point of the story is that God's mighty power and God's mighty presence can get us through anything. And so let's keep the main thing. The main thing is that God is the one who is with us and God is the one with the power to get us out of it. Here's what, here's what God does. This angel comes up to Peter while he's still asleep and he shines a bright light in the cell. And what does Peter do? Nothing. He's sleeping. His rest is in Jesus, right? What does the angel do next? Gives him a little love tap on the ribs and says, Peter, get up. You gotta get up and move. Now, how does the story play out? The angel tells him to get up, and when Peter gets up, the chains fall off. Now, this is where it gets really, really interesting. This is what I love. God's doing a little wordplay with us. He's kind of twisting the story about it, because this is a little bit illogical, right? Why would an angel come up and say, hey, man, get up? I'm chained down. Don't tell me to get up. I'm chained down. He says, get up. I'm chained down. What does God do? As soon as Peter stands up, the chains fall off. And I love that God kind of tells the story in this little illogical way. Because what God is trying to say in this story is that sometimes we need to get up and follow him even if we don't know where we're going. Sometimes we need to get up and follow God even if it feels like we can't. Even if, feel, even if it feels like we don't think it's gonna work. Because sometimes the struggles that we go through are so strong and they're so tight. Some of us are wrapped up in addictions that we will never get out of unless we get up and trust Jesus. Some of us are wrapped up in sin struggles that we will never get out of. I'm telling you, there is no freedom from whatever you are struggling with unless you get up and follow God. Because when we get up and start following Jesus, when we get up and we put our trust in him, that's when the chains break off. God isn't saying, hey, I'm gonna clean you up and then, hey, hopefully you think it's good enough to come up and follow me. Being a Christian is not about being perfect before you follow Jesus. Being a Christian is about recognizing that only Jesus can make you perfect. Isn't that good news? Man, come on, right? I know we're Baptists, but let's get Pentecostal. Let's go. <laughs> but come on, Jesus is the answer. And his call for you today isn't three good steps to help you better your life. His call for you today is to get up and follow him. 
even if you don't fully know it's gonna work yet, even if you don't fully trust, hey, is God really gonna do this? I don't even feel like God loves me. Believe me, when you get up and follow Jesus, when you confess what you've been doing, when you confess your sins to him, and when you say, Jesus, I'm following you and not myself, that's when the chains fall off. You know, I love how this story ends, and I'm not gonna read the whole rest of the story because it's like 25 more verses, and I've already been late to every service, so let's just... I got flipped off on the way here. I don't know what that means when the pastor gets flipped off on the way to preaching, but I'm just gonna say it's good luck. And hey, I'll be honest, I was not driving crazy, but okay. (laughs) But I love how the story ends. I love how the story ends. What happens to the guards after the chains break? You're exactly right. Nothing. The guards, we don't know if they're sleeping. We don't know if they're distracted. We don't know if God temporarily blinded them. But here's what happens to the guards. Absolutely nothing. That's how insignificant they are. Because when it comes to chains, when it comes to prison cells, and when it comes to guards, when it comes to sin, and when it comes to addiction, and when it comes to struggle, when it comes to fear and anxiety or anger, or relationship issues, those things mean nothing to God because his power can get rid of them like that. God has more power than your sin. You might feel like you are being tightened up, that you're feeling gripped by your sin and you will never get out of it. But God can release you just like that. See, when God breaks the chains, what happens? The Bible doesn't say that they came crashing down to the concrete and all the guards freaked out and they got up and they started chasing after Peter. It doesn't say that when Peter and the angel busted open the prison doors and made a loud boom and everybody's like, whoa, he's getting out. Let's go chase him. There is no mention of what the guards did. And Peter and that angel walked out of that prison door free. Your sin is no match for God. Your struggle is no match for God. I'll never forget when my wife and I, we went to the doctor about two and a half years ago when we found out we were pregnant with our daughter, Izzy. And it was amazing. Huge testimony of God's sovereignty, his control, his power is amazing. After we had gone through the ultrasound and everything, the doctor came in, gave us a few quick things. And as he was about to walk out of the door, he looked at us and he said, hey, did you guys Google your odds of having kids? And we're like, well, that's a weird thing to Google, but no, <laughs> we did not. Because we had gone through surgeries, medication, all the whole works. And he's like, good, because you would have been very discouraged if you did. That right there is confirmation. God can do anything. It doesn't matter what news you've been given, God's powerful. It doesn't matter what sin struggle you've been living in, God's powerful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It is who God is. You want some deep theology today? The common thread through every single Bible story, the common thread through the entire book of the whole Bible is that God doesn't abandon his people. Because the very nature of who our God is, is he is a God who is with us. His Holy Spirit is with us. Jesus was with us. And in the beginning, God the Father was with Adam and Eve. Every single person of the whole trinity of God, of the the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has always been with us. 
you are not alone no matter what you're going through. You are not alone no matter what sin struggle you have because the power and the blood of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus gives us freedom. He has defeated sin and death. He has broken the curse of sin. Your sin has no power over you. Your struggle has no power over you. If you put your trust in Jesus, if you call on his name, if you seek him, because that's our, that's our application today. There's no three-step system. It is call on God. And I love it because in the Bible, the Israelites were God's chosen people. Before they were called God's chosen people, before they were called the Israelites, before they were called the Hebrews, before they were called anything else, they were named this. They were called the people who call on the name of the Lord. That is who we are. As God's children, we are people who call on his name for salvation, for help, for guidance, for wisdom. We need to seek him. And as we enter into our fast today, I know some of you guys aren't gonna, take, you aren't gonna participate in it and that's okay, but a lot of us, we're, we're gonna fast together as a church. What we're about to enter into is a time of seeking his presence. And I know that so many amazing things can happen during this fast. We have dozens of testimonies of God working amazing miracles in people's lives during this period of fasting, and that's incredible. But during this period of fasting, we are not into this to get something from God. We are into this because we want his presence. If some of us get pregnant, ooh, that's good, that's good, right? If some of us break free from our addictions, that's amazing. But the number one sole purpose of fasting and prayer is to seek God in his presence. And you know what happens when we seek God and when we seek him and his wisdom? You just read it. Peter broke out of prison. The whole basis of the story happens in verse five. It says, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. We've got to come to Jesus. We've got to seek him in prayer. We've got to seek his wisdom and his guidance because if we don't, we're going to get defeated. If we don't, we're going to be overcome by sin. We're going to be overcome by struggles. But if we do, we are preparing ourselves to see a work of God in our lives. And if you want that today, I want to call you up. There's, our prayer team is down below here after, you know, by the stage. We have staff members that would love to pray for you. But if you just want to seek God I challenge you to do it. Go all in and just see what God has for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for everything that you've done in our lives. Lord, we thank you for all the miracles that you've worked and how you've broken so many of us free from the bondage of sin and the curse of sin, and we walk forth in freedom. And though we still struggle, though we still fall back, though we still have sin struggles that we might go through, that we will go through, God, we know that through it all, you are with us. You don't abandon your children. You gave us a promise that you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. And you don't break your promises. So Father, we thank you for being with us. But Father, help us not take that truth and, and do nothing with it. Lord, we don't want to recognize that you are with us and then walk away and do nothing with it. If you are with us, we want to call on your name. If you are with us, we want to see your power. We want to see your presence. We want to know that you are here. And so God, help every single one of us to stop relying on our own power, to stop relying on our own self, to stop staying up late at night because we can't shut off our minds, Lord, but to, to rest in you and to seek your wisdom, to seek your guidance. Lord, we love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.